at around 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday, July 15, 1976, a school bus driver named Frank Edward Ray was driving 26 students from Dairyland Elementary School home from a summer class trip to the Chowchilla Fairground Swimming Pool when a van blocked the road ahead of the bus. What happened next would haunt Ed and the children for decades to come. This is the story of the Chowchilla school bus kidnapping. I'm Ashton, and welcome to The Haunted Corner. everyone, welcome back to The Haunted Corner. Today I'm covering the wild story of the school bus kidnapping that occurred in Chowchilla in 1976. There's a lot to get to, so let's get to it. The story begins with a man named Frank Edward Ray. He went by Ed. He was born in La Grande, California on February 26, 1921. One of eight children of Frank and Marie Ray. He moved to Chowchilla with his family and graduated from Chowchilla High School in 1940. In the early 1950s, after growing corn and raising cows on a, on a farm he had purchased, Mr. Ray became a school bus driver for the local school district. He was described as a strong, quiet man who everyone liked and respected. Chowchilla, California at the time was a typical small town. You could drive through the heart of the town in less than a minute. Everyone looked out for each other, and nobody locked their doors. The kids in the town were very carefree. They really had nothing to fear, but that all changed on a Thursday afternoon in July. Summer school was in session, and it was a typical day for the students at Dairyland Elementary School. On this day, July 15th, the students got to go on a field trip to a swimming pool at the fairgrounds. They stayed for a few hours, they had a great time, and then they all loaded up in the bus to head home. The windows in the bus were down and the hot summer breeze was blowing in. The children were laughing, singing, and talking amongst each other. Ed was driving the bus and he had just dropped a couple kids off when he noticed something strange in the road. There was a white van parked in the road. And as Ed tried to pull the bus to go around the van, a man came out. He was wearing a stocking over his head and holding two guns in his hands. And he told Ed to open the door to the bus. So I can only imagine what was going through Ed's mind at that point. He's got, you know, 26 innocent children on this bus to protect. He's their bus driver. I mean, what do you do in this situation? So not wanting to put himself or the children in any more danger than they already were. He did open the door, as they demanded, and the man boarded the bus along with another man who was also wearing a stocking over his face and holding a double-barrel shotgun. One of the survivors, six-year-old Larry Park, recalls, quote, where their eyes were, it almost looked hollow. It was like looking at death, end quote. 
The men told Ed to get to the back of the bus, and one of them got into the driver's seat and began driving the bus. A third man followed the bus in the van. At this point, the children were rightfully panicking. They didn't know what was going on, and they could tell that Ed didn't know either. These poor baby muffins, 19 girls and 7 boys, who were between the ages of 5 and 14 years old. I'll post pictures on the blog so you guys can see. These little cuties. Ed kept telling the kids just to sit down and be quiet and to listen to what the men were telling them. He was being unusually harsh with them, which was really out of character for him. So the kids were really scared too. You know, they didn't, they knew that Ed was scared, which made them even more scared. Eventually, as the bus was traveling along, it went off the road and down into a dry riverbed, which was full of large bushes and trees. And already waiting there was another van, which was green. The kidnappers pulled the van right up next to the bus, and the kids were forced to jump from the bus directly to the van to avoid leaving footprints. They loaded all of the kids and Ed into the vans, and they left the bus concealed in the riverbed. So they have Ed and the kids loaded up into the two vans, and they sped off. And these weren't just normal vans anymore. The kidnappers had painted over the windows and installed wood paneling so no one could see in or out. It was completely black inside. So the kids had no idea what was going on. You know, Ed didn't know what was going on. They were just in this black, these black vans going somewhere. So as this is happening, parents are starting to notice that their kids hadn't arrived home from summer school. And they were flooding the police lines with calls, reporting them missing. And because of all these calls, later on we'll find out that the kidnappers were unable to call in the ransom demand that they had planned for Ed and the children. Like, yeah, that was their whole plan. Money. They, they wanted to get some money. So worried parents began helping police retrace the bus's route in hopes of finding the missing bus with the children inside. They looked for hours, and then a police pilot spotted the bus hidden in the dry riverbed about seven miles outside of Chowchilla. Police raced to the scene hoping to find the kids there, but what they found instead were tire tracks that led straight to the bus and indicated that someone had pulled, you know, right up next to the bus, and there were no footprints Nothing, just the tire tracks. Parents gathered at the fire station waiting for answers about their missing children. And the FBI was also called in to assist. And as all of this is going on, the kids and Ed are still inside the vans. These dark, hot vans being driven to an unknown location. The kids were terrified and trying to comfort each other. The older ones were comforting the younger ones, but they just had to kind of sit there and wait to see where they were going to end up. So Ed was in one van with some of the kids, but in the other van was 14-year-old Michael Marshall and some of the youngest children. Eventually, after almost 12 hours, the vans came to a stop. The kidnappers opened the door to the van that Ed was in and took him out first. 
they then came back and opened the door to take one of the kids out each time. So they were just taking the kid out every time and closing the, closing the door. But of course, they didn't know, the kids didn't know where they were going or what was happening. They, you know, all of the children were just pulled out one by one. So all of the children were pulled out of the first van and the kidnappers moved on to the second van. And the last two children to be pulled out of the second van were Michael Marshall and the youngest victim, who was five-year-old Monica Artery. And at that time, Michael had no clue what had happened to all of the other children or if they were still alive. And he said that he couldn't bear to hand Monica off to the kidnappers. So when they opened the doors, he decided to go first. And he said he had to pry her little hands off of his and tell her it would all be okay just so he could go. So from the vans, they led Ed and the children into a hole in the ground. And this hole led to a tractor trailer that had been buried underground. Inside this makeshift bunker of sorts, there were mattresses, a table, holes to be used as toilets that had been cut where the wheel wells were. There were jugs of water, cereal, a loaf of bread, and some peanut butter. My Michael remembers stepping down into the trailer and hearing the other children calling his name. And it was then that he realized that they were all still alive because he really didn't know up until that point. Quickly following him was Monica climbing down the ladder into the hole. The kidnappers threw a roll of toilet paper down into the bunker and pulled up the ladder saying, quote, we'll be back for you. They then covered the hole with a manhole cover and placed two truck batteries and a bunch of dirt over it. So they were buried 12 feet underground in the dark with no idea when or if they'd ever get out. Ed and Michael immediately jumped into action, trying to find a way out of the hole. They checked every corner for a weakness of some kind, but they couldn't find one. They couldn't figure out what the next step should be, so Ed told the kids to try to get some rest. The minutes turned to hours. The silence would be interrupted by children just bursting into tears, which would then lead to everyone else crying. These poor babies. They were in this tractor for 12 hours, and conditions were getting worse. They had eaten the food. The fans had stopped working. One of the kids had been kicking bricks out from underneath the support beams, so the stability of the tractor was not good. The roof was starting to cave in, and the kids were screaming. And it was at that point that Ed, Michael, and the older kids were thinking, all right, if we're going to die... We're going to die trying to get out of here. So they came up with a plan. Everyone worked together and stacked the mattresses on top of one another, directly underneath the manhole cover. They were standing on each other's shoulders to reach the manhole cover. They took turns pushing on the manhole cover, but it was really heavy. <laughs> and then you just added the dirt and the truck batteries onto it. The batteries were 100 pounds each. So it wasn't an easy feat by any means. But Michael kept pushing and pushing on it. And eventually he and Ed were able to wedge it open just enough to move it. And just enough for Michael to squeeze through. But not only were these 
these huge batteries on top of it. The kidnappers had constructed like a wooden box around the hole. Michael and Ed were able to move the batteries and had to dig and dig to be able to get out of the hole. They wouldn't quit digging. They just kept going and going. Eventually, a beam of light came shining down into the tractor and they knew they were almost out. Michael very cautiously stuck his head out of the hole to make sure the kidnappers weren't just standing right there. And luckily they weren't. So the older children who were still down in the, the hole just started lifting the younger children out and passing them up to Ed and Michael until every single one of them was out of the bunker that they had been in for the past 16 hours. They had made it out. But now the question was, where did they go next? And where, where were they? It was around 8 o'clock p.m. at this time, and they were just wandering around trying to figure out where to go next. When they came across a bunch of conveyor belts, excavators, and they quickly realized that they were at a rock quarry. Some of the workers came across the group and were understandably confused. They immediately called 911 and authorities arrived. All of the children were photographed and then they loaded them up onto another bus and transferred them to the only place that apparently could hold them at the time, which was a correctional facility, which of course scared those poor babies. They're like, what, are we going to jail now? Like, honestly. But they brought all of them food and new clothes. Everyone was examined by doctors and then interviewed by police for over four hours before being allowed to go home. Everyone was loaded onto a Greyhound bus and transported home. The bus arrived around four o'clock in the morning to applause and cheers from family members and news cameras taking pictures of the arrival. It had been almost 36 hours since they were initially kidnapped. They were finally home and reunited with their families. They were safe, but they had been through so much over that time, and it would stay with them for the rest of their lives. During the interviews with the children and Ed, police tried to gather information about the suspects. In the days after the kidnapping, authorities dug up the truck that they had been held in and searched it and the quarry for evidence and clues. They were trying to figure out who would have had access to the keys to the quarry and be able to bury a whole truck in the ground there without raising any red flags. Pretty quickly, a suspect was identified. 24-year-old Frederick Woods. He was the son of the owner of the quarry. And after looking at the ledger, surveillance tapes, and talking to security, it was pretty easy for them to pinpoint Fred as a suspect. Some of the security guards remembered seeing three men digging a hole on the property. They identified Fred's, Fred Woods as one of the men who had been digging. And along with him, they also identified brothers James and Richard Schoenfield. They were 24 and 22 years old. So all three of them were arrested. And authorities had a warrant to search Fred Woods' family's home. And they discovered tons of incriminating evidence. They found the guns, a document that was literally named Plan, which detailed how they were going to carry out the kidnapping and deal with anything that went wrong in the process. They also found a draft of the ransom note, 
the kidnappers were initially planning on asking the state of California for $2.5 million, and then they raised it to $5 million. But as we remember, they weren't able to call in their ransom demand because of all of the attention that the case was gathering already. Parents were calling in, others were calling in tips, the police line was flooded. So they decided to take a nap. And by the time they woke up, they turned on the news and saw that Ed and the children had escaped and had been rescued. So they never even got the chance to put the ransom request out there. (laughs) Idiots. So they were all arrested. And now the question was, why? Like, what kind of fucked up person does this to a group of kids and their school bus driver? Well, the men admitted that they were in need of money, of course. They had money problems. And that they needed multiple victims to get multiple millions of dollars to cure their money woes. And why did they pick children? Well, James Schoenfield said it's because children are precious. You know, the state would be willing to pay a ransom for them and the kids and their kids, you know, so they wouldn't fight back. Some of the children faced the kidnappers in court and testified against them. All three perpetrators pleaded guilty to kidnapping for ransom and robbery, but they refused to plead guilty to infliction of bodily harm as a conviction on that count in conjunction with the kidnapping charge carried a mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. They were tried on the bodily harm charge, found guilty, and given the mandatory sentence. Five weeks after the kidnapping, the children, along with their bus driver, Ed, were honored as heroes. They were in a parade and even took a trip to Disneyland. They tried to move past what happened, but it was clear that things would never be the same for any of them. Not only that, but four years later, the kidnappers' convictions were overturned by an appellate court, which found that physical injuries sustained by the children, mostly cuts and bruises, did not meet the standard for bodily harm under the law. So they were resentenced to life with the possibility of parole. Richard Schoenfield was released in June of 2012, and James Schoenfield was paroled on August 7, 2015. In 2016, the the 25 surviving kidnapped children settled a lawsuit they had filed against their kidnappers, The money they received was paid out of Frederick Wood's trust fund, and although the exact settlement amount was not disclosed, one survivor stated they had received, quote, enough to pay for some serious therapy, but not enough for a house, end quote. In October of 2019, Woods was denied parole for the 17th time. Over the years, reasons that were given for the denials have included his continued minimization of his crime, as well as disciplinary infractions because he had been caught with contraband, pornography, and cell phones in prison. In March of 2022, Fred Woods went before the parole board for the 18th time and was granted parole. Ed Ray received a California School Employees Association citation for outstanding community service. In 2015, the Sports and Leisure Park in Chowchilla was renamed Edward Ray Park and every February 26th was declared Edward Ray and Children's Day in Chowchilla. Ed passed away in 2012 at the age of 91. The children never forgot what happened to them. Many had continuous nightmares 
and struggled throughout life because of the trauma. Jody Heffington Madrano, who was 10 at the time of the kidnapping, told the Associated Press, quote, they basically stole our whole youth. Our childhood was completely turned upside down, end quote. And that is the story of the Chowchilla school bus kidnapping. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. The sources for today's episode will be listed on the blog post for the episode at www.thehauntedcorner.com. It'll also be linked in the show notes. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner, available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, with new episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to share your support, head on over to Patreon. You'll have access to the exclusive Patreon content, early and ad-free access to episodes, plus so much more. Head over to patreon.com forward slash The Haunted Corner to join now. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to tell a friend. And rate and review wherever you listen, because that helps support the show. If you have a case suggestion or a correction to share, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves, and we'll see you soon. Bye.